Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show for Wednesday. It's May the 24th. We are taping this the night before because Steve and I are very busy. And you can see I have the real Steve Friend right here at Real Steve Friend on Twitter. He has had a banner week. How many uh, followers did you gain this week? We got about 10,000 this 10, week. 10,000, which yep. is about what, like a 50% boost? 50% boost since uh, my moment of coming out with Garrett O'Boyle. Yes. So we're going to talk about a couple things, folks. We're going to get into uh, what it's like sitting and testifying in front of Congress in a way that probably is not going to be discussed on any other shows. You're not going to get that on a Hannity. You're not going to get that on a Jesse Waters. That's, they don't have the time. They don't have the interest, to, I don't think, necessarily. They're trying to get the points, and, and uh, they have a purpose for what they're trying to accomplish. But you and I could just riff, and that's what we're going to do. So we've been talking. We've got a bunch of funny things that have been happening over the last couple of days. Folks, we're going to catch you up on that. We're going to talk about white supremacy. We're going to talk about Patriot Front. There's a lot of questions about that. We're going to talk about people who run around with a, you know, just in case Nazi drop flag in case they need to be white supremacists. And uh, I think you folks will all kind of appreciate that. Steve, if you'll bear with me, I want to say thanks to CatholicVote.org. Folks, I don't have the internet connection to do anything. We're literally taping this thing in the middle of a hotel. As you can see, pretty cool background to be in. We are uh, sitting in the middle of the third floor of the Woodlands Marriott, where people may be streaming past us and thinking, Am I on the Kyle Serafin show? Yes, you are. You are indeed. Just like those poor guys that were on there the other day. So CatholicVote.org. They are our sponsor. They are keeping the lights on at my house. They are taking care of our family in a big way. And they are a fantastic advocacy group that moves forward a Christian agenda, Catholic in the universal sense, for faith, family, and freedom. It's very easy to align with a group like that. For me, their ideals are in the same places. They're a pro-life organization. They're suing the FBI, all the things that I want to be doing. In fact, they might be actually sponsoring a lawsuit on my behalf to try to knock down some of the, uh, the records that we need for other lawsuits. So um, the way lawfare often works is that you can have certain access to certain things if you are uh, a party that can get discovery. They think they can do some discovery on my behalf. Pretty cool. Look at catholicvote.org, and I think you folks will appreciate it. You can sign up for their email chain. It's called The Loop. doesn't cost you a penny. There's about 400,000 people in this country that are getting it already. Good pro-life news, all kinds of stuff that's current events, some political advocacy, the types of people and politicians that you want to sponsor. That's it. All right. Uh, let's go straight into the madness. Steve Friend testified in front of Congress. Today is going to be broadcast on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. It's one week exactly from the time that you sat there. You were on Thursday last week, so seven full days. Laid on me. What was it like? And uh, what, what was it like? What, what were the things that were unexpected that when you got there, you were like, oh, that's not how I thought it was going to go down? Well, it started the day before. So I got there, and my employer, Center for Renewing America, wanted to do a murder board with me. I'd already done one. What with, is a murder board? Well, it is basically a role-play, mock trial-ish sort of scenario where they pretend to be the adversarial portion of the expected hearing that you're going to have. And it's sort of an out-of-body experience. It's very unusual because there are people that you know and you socialize with and you're friends with, and they're acting like Debbie Wasserman Schultz on purpose to try to... She's the ramen noodle hairs? Correct. Got it. Correct. And trying to I can't ever you... call. I can't call her by her real name now that I know her, her actual... For actual spirit creatures, which is a, a top ramen packet. Pa parenthetically, she looks better on TV than in real life. It's rough. She looks rough and real on TV, so that's terrifying. <laughs> Sorry, Debbie. Uh, we're going to call it as it is, and you should get someone to do your hair. A wig, shave your head, go with the Ayanna Presley look. That she's Ayanna Presley is actually really pretty. She seems like an awful person. Mm -hmm. But she's at least pretty, and she has a lovely bald head. Yep. Uh, De Debbie Washington Sinead Schultz. Sinead O'Connor. Sinead O'Connor was very pretty with a bald head. <laughs> We're dating ourselves a little bit there. Okay, so uh, 
you, you've got people. Have you ever heard the term murder boarded before no. this happened for you? No, that was that's a complete insider DC thing, I believe. I've never heard that before. I mean, I can understand sort of a, we're going to do a role play exercise. We're going to prep you. But murder board, and that's been thrown out to me. And I believe Garrett said the same thing, too. So I think it's a, it's a DC term. Okay, folks, uh, if you're watching, by all means, please hit the like button. We had a couple of people in the chat the other day that came up with the idea. Unlike the, the smash the like button thing, we'd like you to like the smash button. The smash button has a thumbs up on it. And uh, if you will do that, and then also give us a comment, if you ever heard the term murderboarded, attorneys particularly, if that's a thing that you guys do, that you say murderboard, that you do your clients, I've heard about witness prep before. I've never heard that term. Yeah. Okay, so they murderboard you, yeah. they murderboard Garrett, they got you guys ready to go to war. Yep. And I assume that's what they do to witnesses. That's uh, and how nervous was the Republican establishment about putting you guys out there? They were freaking out, and they were freaking out the night before. Even it was very clear to me that in the night before, and then leading up to the hearing, actual members of Congress were coming up to me, looking me dead in the eyes, and being like, "You need to be ready because this is going to be really bad today." And I just never got that sense. I kind of had a strategy in my head. I kind of had a, a game plan for how I was going to approach any sort of attack that came my way. Right. But I also had this, I was very confident in my prediction how the day was going to go, and it kind of followed suit as how I saw it happening. I thought, they're going to come in. They're going to see how our opening statements go. They're going to take a couple pokes at Garrett and Marcus because neither one of them has actually held up to any sort of public scrutiny. They're sort of untested. Right. And then we're going to be done. You didn't think they were going to come at you at all? I thought if they came at me at all, it would be very short because there's a five-minute time period, and right. they, they got to get their speechifying so they can get their viral moment or clip or something they can send to their donors. That's going to leave very little room. Any questioning was going to mostly come from the Republicans because they wanted to prompt us to be presenters. And to be fair, I think that, uh, like you said, of all three of you, and they're not going to come at Tristan because Tristan didn't do anything. So, folks, there were four people testifying. It was Garrett O'Boyle, who was our friend, and will be on the show very soon. In fact, uh, probably as soon as we get back into the home studio, I'll, I'll hook up with him. Um, I might even fly him in out of my pocket just because I want to hang out with him, and we'll talk, and we'll catch up. <laughs> this has been such a cool week to be able to hang out with Steve. Yeah. So, um, or he might drive down because he's a madman, and he hasn't, had, he hasn't had a job in a long time now, so he might have the, the bandwidth to come down. and, and He might a, have the finances after what happened after this. Yeah, we're going to be very frugal, and we're going to be very judicious on there. In fact, we were just talking mm -hmm. about that, and what the, I think the plan is is to take some of the money that was taken out of that. They're going to make themselves whole as close as they can, yeah. make sure that they're not um, in danger of getting crushed by this ugly federal government. But the second thing is is they might just build up a little war chest to be able to keep track of the next person. If somebody brilliant. else is going to come out, um, I, you know, not to be too serious about it, but the, I think that's kind of the plan because we got to we got to know that there's probably one other person out there that's on the fence and deciding, looking at that, going, are they going to be able to look out for me too? Yeah. So, um, and if you are listening to our podcast and you are a part of the FBI and there's something that you've been trying to say, hey, man, this is this is something that's a real problem and we want to come forward with it, you know, reach out to us. The DMs on Twitter are open for both of us. You can go to uh, kyleserafin.com and hit the contact me. That'll go right to my email. So you're welcome to do that. I'm sure the bureau monitors it if they uh, if they have an intelligence investigation into me, which I'm confident they can, whether they choose to or not, as another animal. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that too. But um, all right, but but you're you're like the tried and true. People know that you've been hammered on on friendly media, but media nonetheless. Yeah, and yeah. you had and you've had the spotlight for eight months now. I'm kind of well rehearsed. I sort of have had that opportunity to hone in my responses to my actual disclosure that I made so that it, when the Republicans came to me, I could present it in a coherent, quick fashion because they're time limited. And then I kind of knew where the avenues of attack were going to come from the Democrats. And really, the biggest benefit of the murder board was one particular word that okay. my counterparts at CRA advised that I change. And they asked me very specifically about the money that Cash Patel's organization gave to us. And they said, they're going to come at you. They're going to say, isn't it true that you took money and you're bought and paid for by Cash Patel, lieutenant of Donald Trump? And, and, and they did that. And they did that. But in my murder board, I said, well, his organization gave all of us a stipend because none of us had been paid. And this was completely generous. There was no expectation. He made it very clear. I mean, the guy basically scores a touchdown, doesn't spike the football because 
you act like you've been there before because he's a class act. He doesn't want any attention for that. It's We're just talking about Cash Patel. Yeah, Cash Patel. Yeah, I agree. Cash has Cash has uh, been helpful to my family as well, and he's yeah. just he's like an awesome dude. He just is, and and, uh, and he's really he's really chill about it. it. Doesn't mean that he's like not a good time guy, and you know that he's not like some he's not sanctimonious no. in any way. He's no. just. He's just a bro. He is. He's just a regular guy. He drank a Coors Light when I when I met him the first time. He's like, "You want a beer?" And I was like, "Oh, I don't really drink Coors Light. I guess I guess I will." Yeah, at least okay. it wasn't a Bud Light. It wasn't a Bud Light. Not at all. Cash so, already had that in a sense. They had me. They said, "Hey, just don't call it a stipend. Call it a donation. That just sounds a little bit more personal." I'm sorry. Okay, that's and, fine. And it wasn't a stipend. So I got a stipend when I went to college. Yeah. Right. And I earned the stipend by doing things which was to keep my grades up and to so on. It was part of a scholarship package. There was some contingencies that were built into it. Yep. And if I didn't perform, I didn't get the stipend. Yes. Yeah. It was a poor word choice for me. I mean, I was the it's idea. I, I, but they were correct. So do you know what the Latin root for, the, for uh, donation, where that comes from? No. It comes from the Latin verb donare, which is to give. All right. And, and Isn't that the actual name of currency, donare, somewhere? Uh, denarius, uh, denare, yeah, maybe okay. so. But... Um, the, the, the important part, this was spelled, you know, Latin, there's a different uh, vowel structure to it. But the interesting piece is you even said donation, which I think was exactly accurate. It was, in fact, a donation. And you're not a charitable organization. You are the recipient of a donation from a charitable organization, which is the same thing that people who get money from Catholic charities get, right? You get, uh, like, any number of non-governmental agencies that are 501c3 foundations and otherwise um, nonprofits will give donations to people that are in particular need. Yep. And and so when uh, when I was asked about that, it was like setting a trap. This was Dan Goldman, right? Dan Goldman walked right into this only trap. It was and talk about lack he of self awareness. Twice he did twice, and then he used it on his social media because it was a, a scalp in his book. Talk about just not reading the room or what actually happened. He asked us those questions, and he said. Did, he, did Cash Patel pay you any money? I said, his organization gave me a donation. He said, well, are you a charitable organization? Right. And, and this is also a man who's worth upwards of $240 million from his inheritance. Yeah. So Dan Goldman probably never gone without in his life. No, no, no question. Couldn't understand be, being worried about putting food on the table or at that point when we got our donations, Christmas presents under the tree for our children. Legitimately, yeah. um, you know, you hadn't been paid in a couple months at that point. Mm -hmm. when, when did you stop getting a paycheck? Uh, it was the month before that. So it was in Some November. Yeah, yep. All right. And so first real month without a paycheck. Like, look, folks, I want you to think about this. Like, how many of you have been in a situation where you lost a paycheck? for one, two, three, four pay two periods. paychecks. So he's two paychecks down at that point. Wife's out. And then his wife got uh, yeah. you know, relieved of her position for, we're not going to say it was the FBI, but it yeah. definitely could have been the FBI. And, uh, and that's because his wife worked in an industry that the FBI would have a lot of hooks into. We can talk about this long form anytime if it's interesting to you. It's, it's probably like in the past at this point. Uh, yeah. But you're dealing with a uh, scenario where you're out of a paycheck, somebody comes in and throws a lifeline to you, was it a replacement for your salary? No. Was it a replacement for your annual salary? Not even close. Was it a replacement for your monthly salary? No. So just to, to be aware, and this is the joke that we do on social media sometimes, is we've been kind of talking about it because I was in the same boat. I was also a recipient of this sort of a thing. You know, Cash wrote out a check, incredibly generous, more than anybody else has thrown into my pocket. And same for you, I believe, mm -hmm. until we started receiving a paycheck again. Yes. And it didn't replace our FBI salary so the idea that you were going to walk away from a six-figure salary with a retirement and benefits and all the things that come along with it and the satisfaction of being able to do a job, simply to be able to like get some of this money that was slightly less one time than from you From somebody who I've month. never actually met. From, from a stranger. Yes. Who asked nothing of you. Yes. It's pretty absurd. That's, it's pretty absurd. And I would find that embarrassing if that was the kind of points that I was going to march out, especially if I was worth $240 million. Yeah. I just don't know how anybody like sits there and looks at themselves and goes like, yeah, I nailed it. But he did. He put it out on social media that way. Yep. And apparently my response of, I'm not a charitable organization. I was just an unpaid, indefinitely suspended man trying to provide for his family. That was didn't a scout. wash over him. That was, that, that was a victory in his book. Right. And I think he looked appropriately like shit for it. So <laughs> I'm just going to say that. I think I swore a couple times watching those guys. Those guys got my blood pressure up. Yeah. Um, they also thought they baited Garrett O'Boyle with a couple things. They walked into a buzzsaw talking questions about, or asking questions rather, about the fact that uh, 
they had a preliminary investigation, a full investigation into Donald Trump, but it could have been a preliminary, but the preliminary oftentimes becomes a full, and Garrett just like went full gangster on him. He's like, yeah, but oftentimes it becomes nothing. Correct. So um, we've, we've tweeted that thing out, and uh, folks, if you're following our social media, you'll see that. We're, we're pumping Garrett's account. His, his attorneys want him to be locked down. Uh, he's out doing interviews, but he's got a lockdown Twitter account. I don't know why. Uh, I don't care. Like, the guy's a bro. He's our bro. Uh, he's our people. And in the background here, while Steve and I are taping this, I think there's either a prom or a graduation. So there's a bunch of people kind of milling about, which is pretty funny. Um, so so they thought they laid this bear trap. Was there another bear trap that uh, he'd set himself up for and snapped in his face? Uh, for Goldman? Yeah. Or any of the other ones? Oh, well, I mean, there was uh, this Sa- Sanchez questioning of Marcus Yeah, Linda Allen. Sanchez basically lit her own face on fire. <laughs> she was... Look, okay, so you're sitting at the table. I watched it on a live stream while I was doing it. Many yes. of you watched it on the live stream as well as I break my board. So tell them what that felt like sitting there, listening to her, and like, because it's a totally different animal to be watching on TV and me going, like, oh, this idiot. You're expecting anybody could be attacked at that point. Yes. Including you. Yes. And you don't know where she's going to go with. We're waiting. I'm waiting on it. And when she came out with that, I thought in my head. So summarize it for people that didn't watch the stream. Because this is, this is one of the great moments probably in congressional history for the last two weeks. <laughs> for the last two weeks, yes. Minimum. From but the same One bo- of the great cell phones. From the same government body in which, I don't know, Abraham Lincoln was a member at one point. Gross. <laughs> she, she said to Marcus Allen, uh, apparently one of her staff members, found a tweet on Twitter in which an account that was named Marcus Allen retweeted, not originated, in which this original tweet said say, that Nancy Say that again Pel- slower, just so people can grasp how ridiculous and far away from right. anything There was is. a tweet from somebody, let's say, named Bob, and Bob said Nancy Pelosi was responsible for January 6th. It was a lady, actually. Yeah, I think it was it, a lady. With, like, flowers and stuff in the emojis. Yep. Okay, so some lady said a tweet, Nancy Pelosi is the cause of January 6th, or yes. set it up. And some account, somewhere, on Twitter, at some time... With no profile picture. Anonymous picture, like egg profile. And do you remember what the, what, the, what the basis of the account was? No. It was Marcus A, like, 905676 and she read all the numbers like a crazy person. Yes. And then she said, are you familiar with this? She said, have you used Twitter before? Yes. And, and he said, uh, yes, I have utilized Twitter. Probably as an analyst. Probably sure. as an SOS. He's you would probably use... trying to answer it as if it was a work-related question, not a personal... Like many people would. Yes. I'm not sure he has a personal Twitter account. We, he hasn't shared any with me, and I would be surprised if he did. Most of us never did. Until we did. Until, until we got pwned out. Yeah. And his response was, that's not my account. And she just kept going. Did you see her face not receive that information? Yes. Yes, I did. What did that look like? <laughs> I mean, I was, st- it was just, I was dumbfounded that she didn't have a backup. She was going through it, and then her, when it finally dawned on her, she kept her stage, her game face, and she said, "Well, I just want you to comment on this. Do you agree with this, just at large?" And in my mind, I'm thinking the response of I would have because I'm assuming that they're so incompetent they're going to ask me something like that too. Right. Um, and I, I knew at that moment that my response was going to be. For the record, you feel that it is in the best interest of your constituents for me to comment on a tweet put at some point in some place by some person. By some person. I don't agree with it. Oh, I, I think I would have said I'm, I'm going to invoke my Fifth Amendment right <laughs> to <laughs> shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> what a clown show these people are. Yeah, uh, they she are. Had the, did you notice right away the, the hair color? Because when she came on yes. to how far away are you from those folks when you're sitting at the table? You're not, I mean, you can see their faces. I mean, they're not like 60 yards away from you. So you're probably like 20 yards away. It's 20 not, yards? Yeah. 60 feet? Yeah. That's a long. Yeah. You're, I mean, and they're kind of in an elevated position too. It's, it's almost like a stadium seat in there right. in the back. And you're all the way down like, like in the, the gallows. It's judge boxes. It's, and it's a little bit distracting because there's cameramen that are around the tables okay you got to talk about that because every time i see them cut away and they show a scene which they do rarely i I realize that the person that's showing that scene of like my my buddy's face they're right in my buddy's face yes there's 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 like a camera dude standing between you and the person like interrogating you well there's actually photographers and then there are uh robotic cameras that will flip around and you can see them moving and then there's tv screens for you to watch so you can watch the congressperson that's up there talking, or you can watch them on TV, and then they'll direct your attention to one thing or another. So there's a lot of movement going around, and there's reaction from the from the people behind you. It's not like this solemn affair. There was there was a 
there was some applause at some point. There were people that were mumbling under their breath, like it was a, a like a school board meeting. They're like, you know, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so you're sitting in there trying to keep it together. You had a and, game face, man. And this is not. I mean, so the the difference is. is I don't know about Marcus. I don't know. I don't think Marcus is prepared for that. Although I think Marcus has been praying for uh, support from the Holy Spirit for months. Yes. And that's what he kind of, did you guys get some back and forth a little bit afterwards? Yeah, a little bit. He was just, he was a quiet, mild mannered guy, but I looked over and we all kind of had our little tokens. Like I had my challenge coin. Right. Um, and, uh, and he had a, a fairly large cross that he had on the table with him that he was looking at the whole time. And he was really prepared. He brought these Ziploc bags, he opened them up and he had note cards about topics. The guy was prepared to talk and obviously didn't get a chance to talk very much other than not using Twitter. Right. But the thing is this, and, and so I, I've gone back and forth with Marcus a little bit. I think he's a very private guy. He said he doesn't want to do interviews. I don't blame him. I wouldn't, I didn't want to do any of this stuff either. I, I don't know. I'm fairly suited for it. You're fairly suited for it. It suits our personalities to engage in conflict when people challenge us. Yes. Um, and we're not going to allow something that is wrong to continue. So if that means that we have to lose our anonymity, so be it. Yes. And you're not afraid to put your name to your opinion. That's the cost of doing business, man. Right. And I feel the same way. Um, and so because of that, because that's the case, I'm empathetic to people that want to be out of this light and don't want to be part of it. Uh, and in the meantime, we got our buddy Garrett who, folks, if you don't understand kind of how the suspendables works, and when we talk about the suspendables and we hashtag it and all this other kind of stuff, there are a couple of us that talk every day. We're, we're in constant contact, daily, multiple times a day, you know, triumphs, frustrations with our spouse who doesn't or does get it or is having their moment. And, you know, we all, like, it's, it's our only place to blow off steam because all of our normal workplace friends are gone and all we have are people that we either have never met before, like Steve and I have never met, but, but literally talk to you every day. Yep. You know more about what's going on in my life and what I think about than any of my brothers do. Yep. I, yeah, same, same here. Same here. I've got siblings, and, you know, we stay in touch like family does, but I talk to you every day. I, I've been joking here that, like, you, you're my work wife. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I don't want to be anybody's work wife, but if I had to be somebody's, I'll be your work wife. Oh, That's thank fun. you. Thanks, brother. I'll keep the beard if you don't mind. Um, that said, you know, Garrett has been kind of chomping at the bit and he's been yeah. in restraint. And, and so he sent me a private message a little while ago and he was like, dude, you guys have been so generous with us, my family, his family, mm -hmm. um, because he's frustrated and he thinks that we're frustrated with him for not coming out and speaking. And, and he, he nailed it. Like he knocked it out of the park. Man, he stole the show. He, so you're sitting there next to him. First of all, you look like uh, you're with your dad at the school board meeting. Yes. As I, was, I, I said ahead of time, I was like, please don't make me sit next to Garrett. He's going to make me look like a small child because he's, you know, a gorilla bear. Tell people how big you are. <laughs> like, you're, you're what, 5'8", same as me? I'm 5'8", 150. Um, and you're a runner, which I found. I'm a, yes, I'm a runner, so that makes me an iguana, very cold-natured. I, I, I have to just dig into this for a second because that was the funniest thing. That So, you know, folks, you meet somebody, you talk to them online, you uh, interact with somebody in another field office, in another uh, work office. You have some business relationship with a salesperson on the phone, and you deal with them all the time. Okay, that's fine. Um, and you have a sense of who they are and you get their sense of humor and you understand. I had no idea like that Steve friend was actually an iguana. The softest man alive. <laughs> no, not the softest man alive. Just <laughs> like uh, has a narrow, temperate, moderate range of functionality. It ranges from 72 to 74 and a half. That's it. And then outside of that, he just stops working. Will you tell people about the thing? Like, because I I mentioned it. You've seen the iguanas fall out of the trees before. Now that you're in Florida, or you at least heard the stories, right? Yeah, so I'm familiar with the stories. Just we tell the have stories on your version. Uh, yeah, because when every I don't know few years when the temperature suddenly dips for overnight in Florida because the iguanas are cold nature, cold blooded. They're exothermic. Uh, they're yeah. They uh, basically freeze and they lose the ability to hang on to the branches in which they are clinging and just fall out of the trees on the ground and it freaks people out because they think there's a spin sudden die off like they all got the covid vaccine right <laughs> oh ouch um yeah and people panic and then like the news stories are always run on all the local news and you can find them on there if you go onto any of the the um you know youtubes or the rumbles and search for local news stories about iguanas falling out of trees there's one every couple of years there's like some cold snap as it as the global climate changes or whatever yeah. it is doing and, uh, and so for you who are not watching the Rumble channel, what you're missing out on is I'm wearing flip-flops right now. I have a t-shirt on and I am wearing pants that are made out of the same material as swimsuits, the lightest possible clothing, because I'm in Houston in the summer 
and it's hot and it's muggy and it's gross. And I'm sitting across from Steve Friend who's wearing full pants. Are you wearing jeans? Jeans, heavy He's jeans. He's wearing denim. <laughs> and he has a Columbia soft shell jacket on with a t-shirt underneath it. Yeah. And we're sitting in the same environment. He's a full iguana. I have one friend that's just like you. You're also a freak. You've woken up and run every day. Yeah, I do every day. But I, I mean, and just, a, just a side quick story on, on the cold. Please. SWAT. You know, we used to always just tell us, dress comfortably cool, guys, because once you get into the, the house and you be moving around, it's in the wintertime, so the heat's jacked up in that house. Poor houses are the hottest houses I've ever been in my Because they get free heat. Got it. Yeah. That they, makes sense. They jack it up to 80 it's degrees. It's the worst, and it has a smell. It has a feeling. It's like poverty heat is so gross. Yes. And I feel bad for the people that live like that, but that's what they do. Yeah. So they can't turn the heat, the heat off in the wintertime, so they jack it all the way up. Mm -hmm. And so there, our senior team leader used to say, like, all right, guys, like, dress comfortably cool, except you, Steve, put on everything that you possibly own. <laughs> they just give you a hard time. Because if you were outside, you'd fall apart. Yeah, yeah, you just wouldn't make it in the door. I mean, it was as far as I was concerned, it was guaranteed that I was going to be pretty quick in the stack because they didn't want me to die in the backyard on perimeter. And this is when what state was this in? Nebraska. All right, which got cold. Very cold. Yeah. yeah. So, and you just told me like you spent how many years there? Seven. Seven years. Yep. And you were like this far away from basically maxing out all of your tokens to survive the cold. <laughs> I, I mean, I gave every the, the full the, the last full measure of resolve. Just to make it through your last Just winter. Just to make it through the last winter, and uh, that about took me. So I told the wife from now on that we moved to Florida. Um, I never want to be cold again. I obviously made an exception to come to this like hellhole called Houston where it's freezing. And, it's uh, freezing. Guys, it's 90 degrees outside <laughs> with 75% relative humidity. It's freezing for Steve. Yep. As I told he needs her, to get back to the beach, with, the, with like closer if, to the perimeter or to the we, uh, equator. It is a deal breaker. If we even enter a movie theater and it's slightly chilly, then we're just gonna have to eat the toast tickets. We're going home. We're not watching movies <laughs> if it's cold. I love it. You won't like the Seraphim House. We keep it a sixty-eight, frosty. Ooh, ooh. has to. No, has to. No. My, so all my children have the same disease that I have and my wife have. I call it the battery. Uh, when they go to sleep, I'll, I'll come in if my wife's been sleeping. If I'm recording something late or whatever, and I'll come in and and she'll just be like radiating heat disgustingly hot warm like she's the only woman that ever is like that she's always cold because she's pregnant right now but like mm -hmm. she's also radiating a, like a crazy amount of heat i'll go touch my kids my my uh, four-year-old she'll kick off everything she's got like a down comforter she kicks it off she's just laying there you know like sprawled out like a like a starfish and, and you touch her and it's like you can see the heat coming off her in the, in the cold i'll touch my other daughter who's five and her head is like sweating and it's like <laughs> What is going on here? It's 68 degrees with a fan blowing full speed. They're tucked into their beds. They don't have any, like, they'll have no sheets on them. Yeah. And they are just, like, sweating. And then my son has started doing it now. Okay. So he got it, too. He's a thermal That's... active. I don't know if they're mutants and they're going through something. I've seen some movies where that happens. My, my little guy's like that, but I, I think the opposite of that is, is my mom. My mom is, when you said battery, I was like, she's like the rogue so x-men so mm -hmm. she comes up and she sucks heat out of people yeah so she's like give me your hand and then, you, you, then her you hand die. will her hand will you know go up by like one degree and then you'll feel like you're stuck in a nice cha chamber yeah my wife does that with her feet uh which i don't hate i don't <laughs> care it's like i actually like things to be cold i actually did really well so i went through um i went through some summer military training and i almost died and i didn't like that and i had a like a body temperature over 106 rectal as somebody mentioned, the silver bullet, it's not very fun. That's what that looks like. And um, having a body temp over 106 is like when your brain starts to break down. Like you yeah. start denaturing the proteins inside your, your neurons, and it's not a way to go. Um, so that, that, was, that sucked pretty mm -hmm. badly. I also went through water training and water confidence training in the winter, and it was 20 degrees. There's and no it way. Was, it was epic. I swam <laughs> in lakes where it was, look, we had like a, like a less than a, a spring wetsuit, like a dive skin on. Yeah. And we went and swam a mile, and it was you know twenty degrees outside, no steam coming off the water. <laughs> I, I, and, and my buddy, who was built just like you, turned into a human icicle. Yeah, Sergeant Mike turned into an icicle, and he just bobbed like a cartoon next to me. That, I, I told you this yesterday. If I had to go to survivals, if I was a POW, they, they wouldn't have to do anything to me other than make the thermostat the down thermostat. to like sixty-six, and I would give up the, the nuclear football. Yeah, in like an hour. <laughs> Not an hour. You just well, 15 that, minutes it takes a few minutes to get the room to temperature my my fingernails would turn blue 20 to 25 minutes and then they could put you on the concrete floor and then you it, just 
Just give it all. Oh, man. Give it up. Better never wind up in North Korea. Just surrendering everything. All right. So you're sitting next to Garrett. Sorry. (laughs) We've been doing this for a week uh, or for four days right now where we just... It's nonstop riffing, laughing about the stupidity of life and just the fact that we're still living, which is pretty fun. Yeah. Is there any chance that if I, it, Phil will ask me this. So uh, producer Phil and I talked earlier today and he was like, hey man, I know you're really busy. I didn't want to bug you, but I wanted to run this by you. He's like, if you had called up Steve Fred the day when you guys both went public and we're like, Steve, don't worry. This is what's going to happen right? next. And then I laid out the path that led us to you and I sitting right across from each other. I would think you're one of the crazy people on LinkedIn that hits me up every day. And tells you point. about the satellite that's in their head. Correct. Correct. It's, we had that moment today where there was like this self-awareness check mode. We just have to pinch, pinch. So what people have to under, like, we think this is funny too. If you think it like, that's quirky. Like these guys used to do special, like they, we were the quietest. No, we were never quiet. Probably. I was never no. quiet. You probably were, no. but we were doing the most unimportant job to the Bureau, like dealing with Indian Correct. affairs. Yeah. Nobody cares. regardless of what the lady who I dealt with says, nobody cares about Indian reservations. No, we cared. Yes. I I actually did care. I liked doing the work. I like to actually impact a community. That was why I thought, well, this is why I'm a police officer. And it turns out it's only place in the FBI. It's the only time when you can go join that organization and then directly impact people in that way on the frequency that you can, like you would a police officer. All the time. I had no idea that I wanted to do that until I realized how much I hated doing not that. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Same here. I mean, it was just, I, 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 when I was there, I was like, man, I'm, this is the best kept secret of all time. Right. This is unbelievable. You get to do the real work. Yes. And nobody cares and nobody bothers you and you just run your cases. Yep. No uh-huh. oversight. They're just happy that it's getting handled and somebody's there. And if you're smiling, you're this unicorn to them. Nobody knows what's going on. Yeah. No. Yeah. All right. So, so that's that. We were doing that. And then the job is gone. So that's a shame. And then we should have been crushed. By all accounts. Yeah. We should have just been, I don't know, working as a barista somewhere or... There's so many people that have had the same experience as us where they basically came forward with something and they were homeless, um, lost their minds. A lot of them lose their own minds. Mm. And we get some of them in the DMs. So we'll get people that will hit us up and they'll be like, hey, I did this thing. I blew the whistle on this government agency or, you know, this and that. And they snap. Mm. They go sideways. Yeah. And they've got nothing. They've and, got nothing to give. And you and they'll they'll give you like really specific details that it's not a it wasn't a crazy person that that you know had ray ray guns shooting them from outer space. No, no, it'll be like legitimate stuff. Yep. And they they date it, and you realize this has been plaguing their mind for a decade plus. Because people basically said nobody cares. Correct. And they gave up their life, not on purpose. Yeah. All right. So you and I have a reality check. Uh, so just so you understand the context of what that looks like, which mm-hmm. is that. Um, we don't take ourselves that seriously. And when something happens, we're like, this is, he's about to share with you. Um, then we laugh because it's absurd. It's absurd that we're in this scenario Yeah. and it's absurd that we're standing and we're not crushed. Yeah. All right, go. So we are, uh, on the set of a, of a film, which I don't know if we should share the details of yet if we're approved, but go, we'll just yeah, say, go light. Yeah. We're on the set of a film and, uh, which and- we are. Advising, advising on, and and Kyle receives a a no, an, or an inquiry or a request for him to appear uh, on the Tuesday evening show during the eight o'clock primetime hour on Fox News, which used to be Tucker Slot. Yeah, and he's really tired and wore out and things. <laughs> which I am, by the I, way. <laughs> I don't want to do that, Steve. You interested? I, I made it up. I made a promise to myself before this week started that I was going to give my attention to what I was asked to do, which is the way I operate. Like people know me, I'm full blast all the way. I you just are. I dive in. That's why I have all this stuff with. Me. I brought up. I brought a road board. I've got 200 feet of cables here. You know, I got the laptop set up, and I brought the microphones and a thing, and I drove my truck so I could have all my stuff. So that's the way I operate. And I made a promise to myself that I was going to focus on the task that I was getting paid to do as a technical advisor. That I would give it my all and not be distracted by anything else because I don't owe anybody else allegiance other than I'm going to do this podcast with you all and I'm going to be there. So that's what I was doing. Yeah. And then they're like, Hey, uh, can we get you on, you know, Fox? And it's like, I already knew that I was going to try to hand it off to people, either Steve or Garrett, the guys who need the spotlight for what they just did, which was very honorable and brave and obviously difficult, uh, and a challenge as they murder boarded you, which I've never been, no, no one ever told me they were going to waterboard. Murderboard. Yeah. I've been waterboarded. That's fun. That's fine. <laughs> do that every day. They could have waterboarded me. Bring it on. So, so I just, I'm like, Steve. And my response was, eh, okay, you can throw it to me. Hey, 
By the way, I'm not going to be able to make that event with Vivek Ramaswamy, presidential candidate. <laughs> Would you be interested in doing that in a couple weeks? And your response? I was like, which 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 day of the week? <laughs> like, which, which week was it? <laughs> because we're so we're so we've gone from basically working our butts off for free to try to make this message stick. Now it's sticking. Yeah. And and you know you and I have been doing media heads. If you don't understand how how showing up on a Fox or showing up on a Newsmax or or being on a um, on the, a lot of these podcasts work, people ask you to be there. If you're someone like Steve and I, we take it pretty seriously. So we show up five minutes early or 15 minutes early, and we're dressed appropriately, generally speaking. And, uh, and then we go and we do it, and we do it to the best that we can. But there's no money involved. It's just we're doing it because no. the message is important. Yep. And so I'm, I'm burned out from doing a lot of that. Like yeah. I've done 20 of them in a week for multiple weeks for nine months or eight months or whatever the heck it's been, yep. which you, is wild. I've been on TV more than most people who are on TV for a living. Oh, big and significant name people, and you're on these these shows, and and you wouldn't think that, say, five or six TV appearances in a day would be that draining, especially when you're talking about the similar material in every one of them. And I mean, what's the aggregate amount of time you're talking? It's gonna be less than the length of this podcast. Sometimes it's not. I do podcasts sometimes. <laughs> like I'll do a couple of podcasts a day. I'll do fifteen or forty five minutes here or there. I'll jump on with Mount Couch, or I'll go jump on with Gorka, and some of these. Like some of these things go long. So okay. I've, I've I've clocked six seven hours in front of a TV plus plus my podcast. Or if you do a, a Twitter space, and if I do a Twitter space, it's even more. Which yeah. that's me still sitting next to this machine, folks. And when I do Twitter spaces, and you see it, I'm like I'm literally with the the board here, the computer. I'm researching. I'm trying to be fun. I'm trying to be useful to the people that I make myself available. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so yeah. So can we just. For like, I just, I just, I'm like, I don't know if I could do it. So I'm going to go try to go to New Hampshire yeah. because I can. Yep. Um, and that seems like an interesting thing. And, and it worked out for me because you know, it, frees, this with it me. frees me up to go see Mike Huckabee the day before. Right. Because <laughs> cause that's where we're at. Because we're living in this bizarre sideways world. Where fairly significant and famous people want to entertain our ideas. So I told Garrett something um, right when we got started. This was probably in... November or December of 2021. So that goes back now 18 months. Mm -hmm. And I go, Garrett, we're going to get these SOBs. We're going we're gonna to make this thing. Like, we're not stopping. Mm -hmm. Like, they picked a fight with somebody who's going to fight like, like, you could kill me. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And yeah. I know you feel the same way, but I didn't know that until the minute that you and I went public, and that was the first thing that we ever talked about. It was yes. like, they're going to have to kill me to get me out of this fight. Yeah, I think pretty early in our conversation, I was like, bro, I'll roll through any door with you right now to take this thing down. Yeah, it has to be done. <laughs> and, 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 and that's it. Like, we're dealing with an, an organization that is functionally immoral, yep. that has lost all guardrails. So we're going to keep fighting it all the way. Yeah. All right, we, we were, we were going to talk about you sitting next to your dad, Garrett. <laughs> who, who, who stole is, the show. He did, he did outstanding. His opening statement was incredible. It was emotionally impactful. I know my wife said she was kind of tearing up, and I knew other women said the same thing. I've gotten a bunch uh, of messages about it as well. Yeah, you could feel it in the room. And, uh, and I told him afterwards, I said, look, I figured they were going to come at you. You're kind of this, not, not for nothing. You look like a big, dumb jock. And they're going assume that you're that. Yeah, he runs deep. So Garrett's 6'2", 275. Yeah. He's got shoulder-length long hair. He's got that big beard. Mm -hmm. He looks like a woodsman. But he is the gentle giant incarnate. And he, his statement said that, his response said that, and his closing... And that wasn't planned. I mean, that was a question he was responding to about this government will crush you. And where he was talking about telling people who were thinking about blowing the whistle that maybe they should rethink that. It was the perfect close, and, and I forget who asked him that, said that. I can't think of a better way to close out this hearing. Yeah, I want to say it was Stewart, but I could be wrong. It, and it was, it was. It was a perfectly great way to end it. Um, but I, I don't think they could have kept it going as, I don't know if you saw on the TV, like every one of the Democrats were just doing the Homer Simpson into the bushes. Were they really? Yeah. By see, the end, that's there the was, thing we don't see. That's why I wanted you to come talk about yeah, it, too. They, so by, by they the, knew that they had lost the steam. Yeah, and they one by one were, would they would do their five minutes and they would just get up and then walk out. And by the end of the hearing, Stacy Plaskett was the only one that was sitting at the, at the entire table. Everyone had left, and and the Republicans I mean, not like all of them stuck around too, but sure. there was at least a handful. And um, then the few that did stick around met with us afterwards for lunch in the conference room in the uh, the majority chambers, and and that was sort of it, it was. 
it was nice to get to talk to the actual men that were up, you know you figure in a position to impact stuff any other women stick staff. around and do lunch with you guys uh no there were a few beforehand that came and talked to us because uh, a couple of them were squared away yeah yeah there, there was one from florida and yeah she, she Kat, was, what's cat's last name i can't think of her last name i don't remember and then there was the one from wyoming who knocked out liz cheney she came in and yeah she came and talked too. to us yeah so we'll Put their name in the comments for me. I should know these names. I, I saw them a minute ago, and they blanked yeah. on me. It's been kind of a long, wild day in the sun. Yeah. Um, that being said, they crushed it. They both did outstanding jobs. Anybody surprise you that was uh, better than you thought? or that? Uh, uh, I, I really appreciated Matt Gates's preparation because he brought some things to light that we hadn't. I mean, I think we kind of knew what we were going to talk about, but he highlighted the whole me being at a school board meeting in the parking lot thing, and on that, he caught a... I caught a live one there because that's actually gotten some traction and it was something that I kind of was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. So the fun thing about the way that our, our life works, the way that your life works, I'm sure as well, is that um, some of the stories that impact people, you can't know how they would impact them. Yeah. Like it's just an everyday, it's like that's a thing you did, it's a thing that happened on one day. It was a throwaway experience that you shared with somebody because it was relevant to the moment, but not necessarily, you know, it wasn't life changing for you. No. But that, that sits in a point in somebody else's head, and they go like, that's a big deal. Yeah. And, and, and Gates honed in on that. I thought he did an outstanding job. Yeah, he, was, he, he was one of the few that actually wanted to ask you guys questions and brought you there for a reason. Which and was he nice. was one of the two that came to our actual depositions. So that kind of, I think, speaks well of him and Dan Bishop. And Dan Bishop didn't really do any questioning, his, but his statement was very good. Agreed. Okay. So there's all that. Um, I'm going to... Any, any kind of closing thoughts on there? When they, lost, they lost the steam. They left, the Democrats. Oh, you had, let's close it with something funny about that, and then I want to talk about white supremacy because I love talking about white supremacy. Nothing funnier than white supremacy. Nothing more interesting. Uh, you guys had a funny experience on the way out the door. Yeah. You want to give me the uh, – so Steve is famous for saying he was expecting – he said this on Glenn Beck's show. Uh, I'm expecting all the people from the FBI to be on my left, like yell on your left like Captain America and then see people <laughs> show up. He had a very different on your left experience. After leaving uh, this this hearing, yeah. So we uh, so, Garrett and I found our way out of the Rayburn building because they had closed down the main egress. So we had to be escorted to this different area. We were trying to meet up with his family, right? And uh, and wound up having a really nice moment by the Capitol with uh, with his family and um, Dan Frost. Dan Frost from from National Prayer mm -hmm. Breakfast, and then talked to him for a while, prayed with him in front of the Capitol. It was just a great, great scene. And as we're did you guys put the picture out of that? Because I saw it, but did you share it with just us or did you share that he with has on it. social? I have it. I, I haven't shared it. No, I, I'm, we'll have to put that out because it's, it's a great, it was a great moment. Yeah, it's really neat. And, and then you said that was the first time that some, that any of you had been recognized in public. Yeah. Yeah, Garrett and, was recognized, and you know he's obviously recognizable. And it wasn't like he ambushed us and was waiting for us. We right. came out of this weird entrance, and he just had earbuds in his ear. He was walking, you know, on an evening. Tell people who he is, by the way. Uh, he is big in the National Prayer Breakfast, and is uh, which has been in Washington D.C. for what thirty years or something like that. Sounds that? right. Yep, I've been yeah. I've been by it. I've done. I think we've done like a security movement through there before, okay. just to make sure, just kind of clear the space. Yeah, I've and, been by it a few times. And he told us his kind of his background, and he just just seems like a really great guy. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're walking away from there, and uh, Karen and I are sort of reflecting on the moment of the day, and then I hear, on your left, from, I mean, I'm a runner. In, in my head, I just heard, ching, ding, like, like a... Oh, yeah. Was it, there a bell? I, if there wasn't, I mentally created one. I just okay. created the I memory. Have one too. It's, I have a there. bell in my head. Yeah. Okay. It, it wasn't a, like, aruga. No, no. But... It was like a little girl's... Ding, ding. Yeah, and I... The voice sounded very familiar to me. You're right. And uh, looked over my shoulder, and um, I can say with a high degree of certainty that Stacy Plaskett rode her bicycle by Garrett and I, and Garrett failed to stiff arm her off of that apparatus. After all the nasty things she said. <laughs> the upside is, is that we have the satisfaction knowing that she's a bike riding nerd who leaves Congress on a bike. Yeah. Probably because she's one of the lowest and least important members of that body since she can't vote. Can't vote. She's from New York and she represents the Virgin Islands. If they ever decide to bring me in front of any of these panels, which I suspect they will not based on the fact that I do this, I imagine that this clip will be played. Yeah. And also the clip of me saying that I think that we should throw commies out of helicopters like we used to. Yeah. That, that, I mean, just, just, I, I'm already in the clear and they're not calling me back. Just, no. Well. Only, uh, only I, commies? I, 
Well, we'll start with the <laughs> commies where they belong. That's, that's historically where we've thrown. There's, there's a meme that I take that from. There's a meme of these yeah. people. It's a man and a woman. They're holding hands and they're walking into like the sunset and on a beach with the water like lapping at their feet. Yeah. And it said, you know, some men want to take long walks on the beach. Some men just want to talk to the love of their life about throwing the, their desire to throw commies out of a helicopter, <laughs> which that for, for, for those who don't know, that's my wife and I, uh, we have that sort of weird, dark feeling about just tossing, tossing people that are destroying this country for our children. I feel very strongly about that. It makes me sad. And I don't know if it would make it better or not, but I don't think it would make it worse if we had less commies. I've seen, I've seen a, a meme with a similar language, but it was a picture of Jim Caviezel from The Passion. Yes. <laughs> that's good. Okay. All right. Um, let's talk about white supremacy. Yeah. So we had a, a President Biden talk about it at a historically black college and university. Yeah. And he no, said, it was a it was a black. It was a black historically HBC. black. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a black historically black. Um, because he's not all there. No. Pudding brain. Pudding brain. Uh, Dan Bongino calls him the rotting bag of oatmeal. I. Pudding brain makes more sense. He doesn't seem to be rotting. He seems to be just, he's kind of like the crib keeper though. He gets more and more frail and slow and kind of skeletonized. Anyway, um, not about Joe Biden. So he talked about white supremacy. And then coincidentally on the same day, we got a new version and view of Patriot Front. Yes. And everybody thinks Patriot Front are a bunch of feds. I think you and I have a slightly nuanced take on that. Yes. And we've shared some of that. Maybe break down Patriot Front... You can even look at the camera if you feel like it, like Ryan did the other day when you were running the board. Um, tell, me, tell me Patriot Front. What's your impressions on there? I don't want to skew it. I'll, I'll weigh in as well. I think that they're, uh, and they've sort of outed themselves publicly as this white supremacy leaning and uh, sympathizing the, it, yeah, so it's, group. If you yeah. have never read the manifesto, it's, which it's I've done there. multiple times. I, I read it uh, in 2019 after the March for Life because they okay. were out there trying to recruit. and I, wanted I didn't to know they were out there then. They, They've I, been around for a little while. Okay. They were, they, it's very clearly white supremacist language. It's blood and soil. It's okay. Like all the, it's all the buzzwords. Replacement theory? Um, it's not replacement theory. They think that they are being replaced, that this, okay. that this country is for a pan-European ancestry. Like, right. It's straight up white right. supremacy so stuff. Yeah, that's fine. I, so white nationalism or white supremacy, I don't know the difference. I don't, there's a nuance there. I don't care. Yeah. I, like racist, I don't, I'm not sure. But like, I, you don't have to pussyfoot around that. Like you can straight up say it. Okay. Like that is the case. Okay. From that, but go there, ahead. In, I know in, in the interactions that we've seen, like with them on Twitter spaces, they're like kind of polite about it. They are. But yeah. They, yeah. No, the things they say are deplorable. Um, but they're also this, this showman aspect to it where they're all like kind of pretty fit dudes. They all wear the matching uniforms and the hats. They're fit like me, not fit like you. Yeah. Like, like medium fit. Medium fit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like wearing a large looks okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I got I some mean, more they, PT. They got do. some high knees that they can do. Right. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're not, they're not American soft. No, they're not like sitting in Wally in a chair guys. Like they could. Yes. They look like they're, they have seen the inside of a gym in the last few years. Got it. Yeah. Um, they wear matching uniforms. They have the hats. They always have the masks on their face. Yep. Uh, they always pop up when it's kind of a convenient talking point to put out, and they get all this media attention, and they carry these shields like they're members of Leonidas' army. Right. Yeah, they look they're, so they're they're like a there's a production glass. aspect to what they do, and I'm not really sure what they do other than that. They do production. Yeah, there's that's an interesting way of phrasing it. I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, they're they're very stage conscious. They're very, yeah. it's very presentational, mm-hmm. and it seems to give it. it and they're always in a way that like there's a me- media that is, gives it either advance notice or the the footage of it is. Not just a quick glimpse; it's long and extended. And it right, just it's gives... like look at our marching army of yes. idiots. Um, you ever seen them get arrested? Like, uh, I don't know if they were arrested or detained, but when they were, there they was... were arrested in okay. uh, in Coeur d'Alene, If you saw that in Idaho, yeah. Did you ever yeah. see them take their masks off? Never. You ever arrest somebody with a mask on? Yes. You ever leave it on? No. Why would somebody leave a mask on? You're worried about it uh, being a undercover or an informant whose identity gets exposed. Okay, that's so, that would be. One reason. Flesh that out a little bit, because so I, I, I don't. I don't disagree with you. I, I think that we're kind of have the same. Uh, we have parallel thinking on what this actually is. I am not disputing that this is an actual organization that has nefarious intent and uh, just horrible beliefs, and they're racist. And all right, qualifiers all done. Yep. 
I don't think they're a federally run operation. Okay. I think that it's highly likely that they're federally infiltrated by more than one agency because there's an appetite for the sort of stuff that they're perpetuating uh, from the domestic terrorism standpoint to get the hooks into to get intel from. When you talked about IPM in front of Congress, do you think there's a, an aspect of that that would be easy to tie into this? Yes, yes. You I mean, want to put kind of give people a taste so of that? IPM is metrics. It's uh, we got to get the get the ticket quota for the traffic cop. Quotas. So, Quota-based policing, quota-based federal investigations. Yep, and uh, if it's unlikely that there is a well, it's likely that there is a uh, Patriot Front case open. It's unlikely there's only one Patriot Front case that's been opened, and by opening it up, either by chapters or more likely by individuals, you're able to take an organization with hundreds of members and have now hundreds of domestic terrorism cases opened as opposed to one organization. And the way to do that would be to infiltrate it through undercover assets, informants, and the, the wonderful thing about these informants is they are highly motivated to be productive in national security. They, they're not necessarily case sensitive. They want to continually provide more and more information. So they're actively trying to garner membership and intelligence from these organizations. These informants do not know there are other informants that may have infiltrated. So they might, in essence, be a situation where they're very much like the the Wolverine Watchmen in Michigan, right. the majority of the individuals or a high number of people, a plurality in the room, are actually agents of the government who and, and actually encouraging things to go forward so they can continue to provide information back to their handlers, keep getting paid, and the whole thing can kind of roll out of control pretty quickly. It's really important for people to understand, um, and I hadn't thought about it until you and I were talking to a reporter today. Yeah that when we say that 50% of an organization is recruited by the feds and answering to the feds, that doesn't mean that 50% of the organization knows each other. There's not like an informant meeting and then we send everybody in. In fact, that would be, that would be counterproductive for the case. Yeah. In fact, that, that you're not actually not allowed to do that unless you recruited them at the same time, like buddies, which I've never, you ever recruited two sources that no, were friends? No, they're always, they're always one at a time. So you're siloing the information. So folks, to understand what that means is, if I were to recruit Steve, and then I would go recruit somebody else, I wouldn't tell the other person that, that Steve was also recruited. They're all going to go act on their own. And the way that works in the favor of a federal government that's trying to weaponize or, or activate these groups is that when you get them in the same room, Steve is incentivized to be aggressive and say things that might move things towards violence so that he can get paid for his case. Yep. But so is my second recruit. And they don't know each other. So that looks very grassroots and organic, but it's what you would call astroturf in that sort of scenario. And, and they feed off each other because they're trying to one-up each other to say, hey, no, I'm even more extreme than you are. And let's, and that's how you wind up with an informant as a vice president of the Wolverine Watchman. And it's how you end up with a Babylon Beast skit about you, which basically shows that everybody's a Fed. Yes. And nobody knows that everybody's a Fed. That's the best actual look at it, except they're not all federal agents. They're all going to be federal informants for the most part with a few undercovers that are actually driving these things, maybe giving money. Yeah maybe coming in as a weapons or an explosives expert yep. to be able to kind of keep a tamp on and, that. And how is this a victory for the federal government? If it's an organization, let's say, that never actually intends to carry out any sort of violent action, they just want to parade around and be racist. Yeah, so there's this group called Rise Up that we had to surveil in um, Alaska. It was my first counter... It was my first white supremacist case. I'll put white supremacy in quotes. It was a 266-something, whatever it was. Um, November, maybe. And, and we went to Alaska to go surveil them. And they briefed us on the ideology and they showed us some videos. And I think the group was called Rise Up. And they were based out of LA, or at least the case was. So we're watching this thing and we're like, oh. So they're like preppers. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, but they're racists. And they're like, yeah. So they're racist preppers who train in MMA and buy guns and do outdoor skills. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, why are we watching them? And they're like, because they're preparing for a race war. And I was like, oh. Are they advocating for the race war? And they're like, no, no, they're not. They just think there's going to be one, and so they should be ready in case there is one. And I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> but that's the, that's the difference between a criminal case, which you did most of your career working. Yes. Which is very linear. Yes. And the alternative, which is the circular, the circular intelligence investigations, which don't require a criminal predicate. Yeah. And then it can, in the, the, amazing thing about these circular cases is as they branch out and as you have a, a case open in one field office and another and another, that original one might be closed out. 
Oh yeah, yeah. You could spin. You can close a spin, but the spinners are still going. Still going. They're all tangential cases. Justifying. We're hitting our metrics. We're getting our bigger budget because we can show Christopher Ray can go up and say, oh, "I have twenty-seven hundred open domestic terrorism cases." Is that his number? Yeah, that was what he was presented at the last yeah. uh, appropriations request. So some of that is fun, and then the other piece of it is is that they can go out there and they can be like, um, they can build a body of an intelligence work. Even from closed cases, the intelligence cases and the reports from that intelligence are going to stay in the sphere mm -hmm. for the intelligence community to build on. I talk about a seed crystal and then building the crystal around it. Yeah. So those crystals stay. Yeah. Even if you were to get rid of the original case, the intelligence gleaned from it will stay. And, and, and how about the informant angle where they're trying to provide information? Uh, well, when you have incessant media coverage of Patriot Front, they can just go and bring that information back to the handler, who the handler might have actually read the uh, article, but because it's now coming from a secondary source. Yeah, explain that confirmed. longer form, because I'm, I'm going to pull up something real quick, but while you do that, um, explain to people what that would actually mean. Well, an informant is under pressure to be productive. Uh, another metric, average agent has to have at least two productive sources, meaning they have to meet with them every 30 days. They have to be providing up-to-date or information that is, is going to be assisting the, the FBI mission. It can't just be somebody that you buy coffee and hang out for. That's just your buddy. Um, so these guys in national security, they're not necessarily uh, thinking of it as like bubbles from the wire who's able to go buy dope, and that's he's an effective informant. This is just somebody who's uh, pop, national security. There. Yeah. Uh, he, it's somebody who wants to provide information of potential threats of terrorism. Um, but if there isn't anything that's really spun up, there's no attack pending. There's no really active organization. They still want to get paid. There's a lot of money to get out there. So they will t quite frequently just call through media sources, find an article that they think is juicy, and bring it in and say, hey, look, I'm hearing that this is happening. They don't source it from the Washington Post. They just say they're hearing it. They just say they're hearing it. And, and now the agent who uh, gets the Washington Post delivered to his house every day might say, hey, I've, I've read about that too. But now he can say, well, I've got it from a human source too. So now we've, now we've uh, basically validated that information. From the same source. But it's the same source, single yeah. source validation, which is uh, one of the sort of the biggest sins you can do in intelligence work is that you have no rigor, no analytical rigor, yeah. which it turns out... Um, in a kind of circuitous route. It's the same reason why they went after Marcus Allen, because he was doing the thing that they claimed was not being done in the Durham report, which many of you read, or, or at least you heard from the show. The Durham report said that the FBI was lacking analytical rigor in their evaluations of sources. Yes. And, and people like Marcus were trying to do the right thing by doing that. That's literally what you'd expect. Find opposing viewpoints. Try to expose the truth. That's the I'm, goal. That was one of the many problems with that radical, traditional Catholic memo. All the news sources came from one side of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, the Atlantic, uh, Salon, Salon, and then our favorite. Southern Poverty Law Center. They're the kings. Uh, I'm going to get you a reflection on this, and we'll wrap this up. Right up. Uh, what's your reflection on Indian-named individuals who live in Missouri and running down, um, running down the White House at a perimeter with a U-Haul. Any thoughts? Uh, I think they are the uh, Indian face of white supremacy. The brown face. Brown face. Well, no, because isn't Larry Elder? Yeah. No, Larry, no, Larry Elder is the, the black face. face. Yeah, the, the brown face. There's another guy in, in um, uh, Missouri, actually, who was... And he was an Indian doctor. He's a, he's a conservative. He's a okay. Republican who was actually named the brown <laughs> face. So this guy is the Indian face of not just white Nazism. supremacy. Nazism. Right. You ever you ever heard of a uh, someone running around with a drop Nazi flag? <laughs> drop knife, drop gun, first swastika drop. First the, drop swastika yeah. flag. Drop uh, swastika. Did, did you see the pictures? Did I show you the pictures? Yeah, they laid it out like it was a sheet over a dead body. Yeah, just photo op extraordinaire. Yes, absolutely. If you gather evidence of a crime, you don't lay it out on a parking lot where it's going to be contaminated. But he did have a, a roll of duct tape, which everyone knows can be used to tape things up. As long as he didn't have zip ties. Or yeah, unlike the guy who went after Brett Kavanaugh, who had zip ties, yeah. you know, duct tape, a bag, gun, knife, etc., mm. window breaking material, burglary tools. Yeah. Um, interesting world that we're living in now where the false flag is so desperate to pull up that they got an Indian guy. It doesn't mean that it's not some mentally ill individual who decided. I think it likely is. That's more likely than anything else. It's, we always want to act like it's some sort of government op. It's just as likely just a bunch of, bunch of weird people. It's a weird time in the well, world. We've had our access to them. 
just broken minds. The internet has just exposed a lot of them. And you've done complaint duty before in the bureau, right? Yeah, a week long in small RAs, man, you get a full week of that. And you get all the crazy calls. Yeah, we actually, because it was a small office, we get the same people would call and we just write the list of them down. You know, if it's you know, John Smith, oh, okay. It's a, we had uh, frequent flyer callers or yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah. Regular. We had, uh, For many, many time, you know, long time listener, first time caller guys. Yes. Like, yeah. Oh, like, yes, guy. it's Jim from Brooklyn. Yeah. Hey, bro. No, we, we had Mexican <laughs> Cowboy. Mexican Cowboy was uh, the one that would always come to our our office, walk in and say he had a drug complaint. And, uh, and actually, he was a, a legitimate contractor who was trying to uh, make drug accusations against all his competition. Nice. That's good. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, plenty of mental illness. Folks, sometimes, it's, uh, sometimes it is an op, and sometimes the op is just that some poor bastard just cannot keep it together. There's a lot of that out there. And yeah. if, you work in the, if you work in the first responder space or you work as a, uh, in, in the medical space, you'll find a lot of that in emergency medicine, too. I think that's a pretty good show for today. Uh, yeah. We're going to be back on Friday. Steve and I might do this again. Uh, I think we might try to do it live. I don't know what the call is going to look like. We've been, we're, we had to tape this because we've got to show up early tomorrow, so we'll be hanging out again, and uh, I'm sure we'll have a bunch more stories. I think we could probably do this for hours as needed. Yeah. There's, this is basically like what it's like riding in a car with us. <laughs> this is how we talk. So I appreciate you all joining us here. Um, if you did like what you had to hear, please hit the like button. If you're listening on the Rumble channel, please uh, hit the subscribe button. If you are listening on one of the podcast apps, you can find us on Apple, Spotify. You can find us on iHeartRadio. You can tell your Alexa, please play the Kyle Serafin podcast, and then you'll know that Google has now put you on the watch list as well. That's always a possibility. Um, if you do leave us a five-star review, if you like what you hear, you can do it on the Apple app, and there is a link in the show notes. We'll read one of them on the show. Here's one from Ask Wyo, which I assume was Ask Wyoming. It says, great show. Thank you for your sacrifice and bringing the corruption and incompetence into the light. And uh, that goes double for you there, Steve. Folks, it's been fun. I'm enjoying this time. I expect to do a regular update with Steve. He's going to get some agreement from his employer to make it part of his employment contract. So nothing better than getting your employer to make it part of your terms of service that you get paid to hang out with your buddy. Fridays in the Kyle Serafin show. I think we're going to do a Friday suspendable wrap up. We'll do a round table, maybe just, uh, just the two of us, but probably try and get Phil on there as well. And we'll try to just regularly talk live about what's been going on during the week, uh, both our updates and also updates in the news. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. We went a little bit over the hour, but I did want to get that all done. And we will talk again very soon. We'll see you guys on Friday. Have a safe middle of the week. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.